Welcome to the podcast of Maranatha Ministries. I'm Rick Frank, Senior Pastor of Maranatha, and I pray you'll be blessed by today's message. You can access all of our church information by going to our website at www.mmchurch.com or on all social media by searching at mmchurch. And now be blessed by listening to today's message. We are going to get into the word of the Lord here this morning. I'm reading from the Gospel of John. I'm in chapter 6, verse 35. It says here, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And from this I'll be preaching a message which I have simply entitled, The Bread of Life. Let's just have one more word of prayer here this morning. Jesus, we love you. We magnify you. We thank you for your goodness and your blessings, Lord. We pray by your spirit that you would bless this time of preaching, Lord. Let us all grow in our knowledge of you, Jesus. Let your word minister to each and every one of us, Lord. Anoint me as a willing vessel to impart this word upon this congregation. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, Amen. So chapter 6 of the Gospel of John marks a very distinct turning point in the earthly ministry of Jesus. You see, at the beginning of the chapter, there's masses of disciples who are following Jesus around. Maybe it was hundreds, maybe it was thousands. We don't know exactly, but the Bible says that a great multitude followed him. It was at this time at the beginning of John chapter 6 where we read about the miraculous feeding of the 5,000 which is one of the few miraculous events that we actually read about in all four of the gospel accounts. And in case you're not familiar with what happens there, there's 5,000 men plus women and children who are all gathered together. And a young boy gives the five loaves of bread and two small fish that he has. And Jesus multiplies this to miraculously feed this crowd. Don't ever think for a second that what you have to offer the kingdom of God isn't enough. This young boy had five small loaves. Two small fish. Would have been very easy for him to say, you know what? They're trying to feed 20,000 people. I'm not even going to bother saying that I have anything right here. But he gave it to God. And if we give what we have to offer to God, and I'm not just talking about money. I'm not just talking about material. I'm talking about skills. I'm talking about time. I'm talking about talent. If we just give it to God, if we put it in the master's hands, he will multiply it and he will use it for his glory beyond a way that we can even possibly fathom in our mind. we got to put it in his hands. I know we have a need in our lawn care department. We have a need in our cleaning department. There's so many needs. We are all called to minister in some way. We're all called to contribute to the body in some way, and there's so many ways that we can all get involved. So don't ever let the devil put that lie in your head that you don't have anything to offer, because we all have something to offer. And after this miracle, this crowd of disciples, of course, is, is ecstatic that they just saw this miracle. They had this free meal. They wanted to take Jesus by force and install him as king. But instead, he withdraws to the mountains. But within 24 hours, by this time the very next day, a radical change will have taken part in Jesus' ministry. And this massive group of disciples, this great multitude, would be whittled down to a very small group of just 12. See, the next day started simply enough. The masses awoke and they went out looking for Jesus, which I'm sure they would do every day before that. So it probably started out like every other day. But they couldn't find him anywhere. You see, they were on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. This is where all this took place. They looked for Jesus. They couldn't find him anywhere. They looked at the lake. They saw there was no boat that could have possibly taken him across. So they didn't know where he went, not knowing where else to go. They got on boats themselves and went across and found him on the other side of the lake, the other side of the sea. And when they found him, they asked him, they said, Rabbi, when did you come here? They didn't ask him how you came here. 
How did you get across this six-mile-wide lake miraculously? They asked, when did you get here? And Jesus answered them, but he didn't answer them in the way that they were expecting. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. You see, Jesus took this opportunity to expose the true intents of their heart. And he'll do the same thing with us. Jesus is the light of the world. I preached that message a few weeks ago, and he's the light of the world in so many ways. And one of those ways is that he illuminates our inward man, our inward thoughts. So many times we come to the Lord in prayer, we seek him, and he answers us, but that answer doesn't come in the form that we expect. No, he takes that opportunity to show us our true intents, our true thoughts. The Bible says you have not because you ask not or you ask amiss. And I would argue a lot of times we don't realize that we're asking amiss. But God will show us that. He will illuminate that. And he will use this to help us grow. But we have to be receptive to that. We have to allow him to let us grow. And this crowd weren't, wasn't interested in that. They weren't interested in growth. They were interested in a free meal. That's what they wanted. We've got to understand, church, that God blesses his people in so many ways. He is a blessing God. He is a giving God. But we can never lose sight of the fact that it is not about the blessing itself. It is about the giver of the blessing. It needs to be about he who gives us these blessings. Amen. Give him a hand clap. The crowd replies to Jesus and they say, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So Jesus had just fed about 20,000 people miraculously the day before. He had just crossed a six-mile-wide lake without a boat. But they're still asking for a sign. They still want to see a sign. And then, to make matters worse, they compare Jesus to Moses. Almost as if to say, well, you know, our fathers, they got bread every day in the wilderness for 40 years. What are you going to do for us? Listen, I think J.C. Ryle puts it best when he says, the plain truth is that it is want of heart, not want of evidence, that keeps people back from Christ. And this crowd made very clear the intents of their heart and what they were after. And Jesus goes on to reply to them with the first of what we call the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. And he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. You see, this crowd, they're focused on the manna that satisfies the flesh, that feeds that physical hunger. But they didn't understand, and Jesus pointed out to them, this manna merely sustained life. Jesus said in verses 49 and 50, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. As miraculous as the manna was, all it did was sustain life. All it did was kept their fathers in the wilderness alive for a little while longer. They all still died there. But let me tell you, church, the bread of life, Jesus, he is a giver of life. He doesn't merely sustain life. He gives us life. And you see, this manna that the, the Israelites were worried about, that they were focusing on, when they ate it in the wilderness, it satisfied the flesh, at least for a time. But they grew weary of even that. That grew old to them. You know, the masses conveniently leave this out here when they, they ask this to Jesus. It says in Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 to 6, Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. 
There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Whew. There's a lot there. <laughs> There's a lot there. First of all, we can never forget where we came from. These Israelites, they conveniently glossed over the fact that they were in bondage and slavery in Egypt for 400 years. They were focused on the leeks, the onions, the garlic. It's real easy for nostalgia to, to sort of appear through those rose-colored glasses. And that's why it's so important that we constantly remind ourselves of where we came from and what God has done for us. Tomorrow is Memorial Day, and it's important that we set up memorials in our lives as well. Memorials of what God has done for us. Memorials of those battles that God has won for us. It's so important. We need to remind ourselves of that consciously. Give him a hand clap. It also says here that the mixed multitude among them yielded to intense craving. Now, if there's one constant theme you could take away from the Old Testament, it's the fact that the Israelites always got in trouble when they allowed those, the world around them, whether it was the mixed multitude, the Canaanites, whoever it was, to influence them, to rub off on them. Church, we need to be the ones influencing the world around us. We can't let the world around us influence us because it never ends well. That's how you get your eyes drawn away from the bread of life and drawn towards the bread that gratifies the flesh. And it's not surprising that the Israelites fell into this trap of, of wanting meat because when you try to gratify the flesh, you're never satisfied. Enough is never really enough. God has provided sustenance in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, if you don't know anything about the wilderness, as the Bible talks about it, it is essentially a barren wasteland. That's what this area of the world looks like. God is miraculously feeding these people day after day after day, year after year. And even that's not enough. Once you get into that cycle of trying to gratify the flesh, it is never enough. Listen, I'm not a fine dining guy or anything like that. I don't know what the nicest restaurant in town is. Six, seven, my wife's up there nodding. Yeah, you're not a fine dining guy. <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with ordering a pizza, okay? But, you know, where, wherever it is, wherever the nicest restaurant in town is, you could go there and you could get the Wagyu beef that's aged 18 months in an oak barrel somewhere and, you know, this and that. And, hey, I'm not knocking that. If that's your thing, that's great. But you could have the nicest five-course meal that is on this planet and you're still going to want breakfast the next day. It doesn't last. You are never going to fully satisfy the flesh. And even if somehow you could sustain and, and, and quelch that, that physical hunger, the flesh would just want something else, more power, more money, sex, drugs, whatever. You fill in the blank. Church, there is only one thing that can give us everlasting satisfaction, and that is the bread of life. That is Jesus. There is no substitute for Jesus. There's nothing that can fill that spiritual void within us that longs for a relationship with him. There's nothing that feeds that hunger, and there's nothing that can truly satisfy us except him. And, of course, we live in a world where society tries its very best to minimize the things of the Spirit, minimize Jesus, and, and maximize the things of the flesh, I like to read studies occasionally and keep abreast of what's going on, and I found a couple that were, were very telling. According to Discover Magazine, this is a study that was published last year, it was revealed that Americans were the most unhappy that they have been since the study had first started in 1972. The most unhappy. 
Of course, the magazine goes on to say that COVID-19 may be responsible for much of the drop, but more than a global pandemic, a mix of economic, social, and cultural circumstances have joined together to create a particular kind of American discontent. But listen, I got news for you. This American unhappiness, it doesn't have anything to do with COVID-19. It doesn't have anything to do with economic reasons. You look at the last 50 years, by every available metric, the wealth of the average American and the availability of consumer products has increased in this time. It has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with COVID. This Gallup poll that was published around the same time, I think, clues us in on what the problem is. As if we didn't already know. We already know, but if you needed evidence. For the first time ever, as of last year, the majority of Americans do not belong to a church for the first time in the history of this nation. This generation that we live in is the most spiritually disconnected generation in the history of the United States of America. And there is a clear correlation between unhappiness and this separation from God, and this separation from the Jesus, and this minimization of God in our country. This nation has lost sight of what is important, and that is Jesus. He is all that matters. And church, it's our job to bring this message to this world, this world that would love to minimize God. We need to bring this message to this world. We need to bring this message to those thousand lost souls who are in this capital region right now. Many of them sitting in their living rooms. Some of them down the street from here, a few miles from here. They are sitting in their living rooms right now. They are feeling a dissatisfaction, a sadness, a hunger, a longing for something that they don't know what it is. They don't know what needs to fill it. We do know what needs to fill it. It's Jesus. He is the bread of life. He is the only way. It's often been said that when we spread the gospel, we are just a beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And that's where we are without Jesus. We're starving spiritually. So we need to tell this region, tell this world, show them through our actions, through acting as light, through acting as salt, who the bread of life truly is. Now, there's something else that must be understood about bread. Now, I don't know if you guys like Pareka's bread. I love Pareka's bread myself. They're not sponsoring this message or anything like that. So this is, this is you know, it's a quality product. But you walk down J Street and, and you smell that smell of fresh bread. It's, it's so delicious. You look there, you see the golden crust. Listen, bread, <laughs> bread can smell phenomenal. It can look phenomenal. But it doesn't do anything for you unless you eat it. Jesus says in verse 58, he who eats this bread will live forever. And the way that we eat this bread that Jesus speaks of, the way we eat the bread of life, is by taking to heart what he said in verse 35, when he said, he who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Those two key words are come and believe, and we have to understand what those words mean. We need to come to Jesus by turning away from our sinful nature turning towards him in repentance, coming to him in repentance. And if we fall short, which I'm not trying to say to justify sin, but we will, we need to come back to him. We need to keep coming to the altar. If you're struggling with something that you can't beat and you don't know why, you keep bringing it to him. Keep bringing it to him. And he will deliver you from it. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. But keep bringing it to the altar. And we need to believe the word of God and apply it to our lives. And that right there 
is the key to understanding what the word believe means, because that's a word that's been twisted by this world we live in. You see, when the Bible talks about belief, there is always an action component involved, which makes sense because if someone tells you that you need to do something, right, and you believe them, you're going to do it. If they tell you you need to do something and then you don't do it, obviously you don't believe them. You're just paying them lip service. And thankfully, the Word of God tells us very clearly what we must do to be saved. Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 5, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 says, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Church, we need to repent of our sins. We need to be baptized in Jesus' name. We need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And then and only then can we be confident in our everlasting salvation. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise here. Jesus goes on to say in verses 51 and 52, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, it would have been very easy for the Jews to get offended at this concept of flesh eating. Cannibalism was something that even the Greeks and the Romans, with all their, shall we say, moral looseness, They drew the line even when it came to that. But of course, Jesus wasn't talking about cannibalism. He wasn't talking about physically eating his flesh. He was talking about something much more important here. He was talking about something with eternal consequences here. He was pointing forward to Calvary when he would literally give his life, give his flesh as an atoning sacrifice to pay the price for each and every one of our sins. And you see, the Jews would have understood this concept of atonement and this concept of sacrifice. But instead, they chose to become offended. They chose to quarrel among themselves. And in the same way, we have to understand that the cross does cause offense in this world that we live in today. The very nature of the cross guarantees that it will cause offense in the society that we live in. Because the fact that humanity is lost in sin and in need of a savior flies directly in the face of all of the self-glorification, the self-exaltation, and the self-worship that this world loves to preach and throw in your face today. They are in direct contradiction to one another. Martin Luther, one of the fathers of the Protestant Reformation, a man who, I'll be honest, I have some disagreements with, but I do agree with him on this. He says, when the cross is abolished and the rage of tyrants and heretics ceases on the one side and all things are in peace, this is a sure token that the pure doctrine of God's word is taken away. This world is in direct contradiction to the cross. The values of this world are in direct contradiction to the cross. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he says, For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. To so many in this world that we live in, the cross is either a stumbling block or it's seen as foolishness, but we know better than that. We know the power of God. We understand the power of God. We understand his love for us, his mercy for us, his grace that brought him to Calvary. 
And we understand that Jesus is the only way. And that's something that the wisdom of this world is never going to tell you. The wisdom of this world is never going to bring you to that revelation. Only the word of God and a relationship with Jesus will. It's the only thing that will bring us there. Now, at the end of this bread of life discourse that Jesus gives in this chapter, the Bible tells us the reactions of those disciples who heard it. And this is where that radical change in his ministry comes in that I had referenced. John chapter 6, verse 60, I like the way that the New International Version says it. It says, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? See, they were all in for the free bread. They were all in for the blessings. They were all in for the meal. But they were not in for the hard preaching. Then you go a few verses later in verse 66, it says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Just like that, that mass of thousands of disciples was whittled down to a group of 12 who stayed with him. And church, we need to understand that to truly follow Jesus is not easy. It's not an easy walk. Matthew chapter 7 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. And there's so many Christians in this world who want to have it both ways, who want to walk along that broad path, who want to live the way the world lives, who don't want to make a change in their life. But you see, Jesus calls us to something different. He says in Mark chapter 8, when he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Church, we need to understand that the Christian walk is not always an easy one. Certainly there will be seasons of blessings. There will be seasons of abundance. But there's going to be seasons of trial as well. You see, these 12 disciples who stayed loyal to him, they were there for the feeding of the 5,000. They were a part of that. They saw the miraculous. They experienced the miraculous right there. But you know where they were a few short hours later? They were in the middle of the Sea of Galilee on a small boat trying to row across in the middle of a storm in the darkness. That's where they were a few hours later. And I want to turn this into a geography lesson, but if you understand the way the lake is set up and where they're going, it's pretty much a certainty that they were rowing directly into the wind this whole time. The Bible says they had to row three or four miles directly into the wind before they saw Jesus walking on the sea. And so often, that's how true discipleship can feel. Like you're rowing into the wind. You're giving it everything you've got. You're going pull after pull after pull, and you're barely making any progress. Or you're just floating in place. Sometimes our walk can feel like that, but we have to understand that no matter where we are, no matter what we are going through, Jesus is there. He is there with us. We may not always see him. We may not always feel him. We may not always hear him. But he knows what we are going through, and he is there with us to strengthen us. Bishop preached a message on Psalm 23 last week, and verse 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Notice it doesn't say that the psalmist got to go around the valley of the shadow of death. God didn't even carry him through the valley of the shadow of death. He had to walk on his own two feet through the valley of the shadow of death. But why was he able to do this? 
because he knew that God was there with him. He knew God was there with him to strengthen him, to protect him, to comfort him. And we can be confident in that as well, church. He is the only source of true sustenance. He is the only source of strength that we can rely on. He gives us the endurance to keep rowing into the wind. He gives us the peace to walk through the darkest valleys. And he will embolden us and empower us to go forth into this world that we live in, to go forth into this capital region that is full of people who are spiritually starving and show them who the bread of life truly is. We must show this world, church, that there is only one source of true, everlasting satisfaction, and that is Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Ministries podcast. If this message touched you, please make sure to subscribe for more sermons from Pastor Frank and the ministry team here at Maranatha, as well as follow us on our social media platforms. We are located in Schenectady, New York, and if you are in the area, we invite you to join us during our weekly Sunday service starting at 10.30 a.m. We look forward to you joining us again next week for another anointed message. Thank you, and God bless.